Well, as I told you guys this morning, um, God downloaded this sermon to me this morning as I was as I was as I woke up and, and praying. And one of the things that I have to give honor where honor is due. Go ahead and bring up the first slide, Craig, if you will. See the the banner at the top that says "Tent Makers and Salt Shakers." That's not original with me, but I loved it. This was a title of another sermon that some other guy, his name is David Belfield, and you can look him up on the internet if you're interested. But I did listen to his sermon this morning, and it wasn't anything about what, what I'm speaking to you about. So it's not like I took his ideas, but I loved his title. And so I wanted to use it, so I want to give him credit. So we're going to talk to you this morning about tent makers and salt shakers, specifically the life and ministry of Aquila and Priscilla, who were indeed tent makers for the Lord. Go ahead and pull up the next slide, Craig. These are the five um, passages where their names appear. This is the only spots in the Bible where their names appear. And let's go ahead and read through them. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. And I'm reading out of the New International Version this morning. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he, he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea... He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and, went then, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, spend, strengthening all of the disciples. And meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Romans 16, verses 3 and 4. Great, excuse me, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, 
greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Go ahead, next slide, please. There's a timeline, and I was so, so, so grateful that I found this. I literally typed in on Google, timeline Aquila Priscilla. Um, Zariah, can I ask a favor, sweetie? Could you pass these out? Or Corbin, either one of you or both of you, could you make sure every person gets a piece of paper? Thank you. This is the work of someone else. I can't take credit for it, but I'm thankful that they shared it online with us. The timeline is by a guy named Greg Nordstrom. And I have listed up on the screen the major things that are on the, on the timeline that runs across the top of the page. And that's Aquila's and Priscilla's timeline. And then the bottom section is Paul's timeline, and it's based on his missionary journeys. And you can look at this later for your own personal Bible study, but I, I found it very, very helpful for me as I was studying this morning, because I like to orient myself when I'm reading the scriptures. I like to know where are they, uh, where have they been, what is the timeline, what, what happened before, what has happened in the past. So let's start the top on this slide, 49 AD. AD means the year of the Lord. If you look at new or, or, or recent, um, if you look at recent script, not scripture, recent studies, they now use the term CE, common era, so that we don't offend people with the word Christ or Lord. But the reality is, is any time after zero, which is the timeline of Christ, AD is the year of the Lord. So 49 AD is the 49th year of this era. And it's about 16 years or so after Christ was crucified. Okay? Now, it says that they fled Rome. Now, we read in some of the passages, in, in, in specifically Acts chapter 18, that Priscilla and Aquila had to leave Rome. Well, what was going on was, um, these were, uh, we know that, Chris, that, that uh, Aquila was a Jew, because we're told that, in Acts. We don't know whether or not Aquila and Priscilla were believers in Jesus when they were living in Rome. However, we do know that there were Christians living in Rome. And so this thing about them fleeing Rome under Claudius, it's specifically relating to an uprising that took place because there was a person who was fomenting a riot. His name was Crestus. And Claudius, the, the Caesar, basically said, every stinking one of you people that are followers of this Christ, out! You leave my Rome. So they were banished. So, and in their, in that culture back then, the Romans perceived all the Jews and all of the Christians as one group. So basically what happened was there was a pogrom that took place. Claudius announced that all of the people related to this Christus, this Christ, which was, it was a mess up. But the reality was the emperor said, if you are Jewish, 
or one of those followers of that Christ get out. So they all had to leave. They had to leave their livelihoods. And in that day, in an urban place like that, uh, Priscilla and Aquila would have had a shop that was downstairs in their building, and then their apartment for living would have been upstairs. So not only did they lose their home, they lost their livelihood, who knows what they were able to carry with them. Literally, it was like a pogrom that happened back in the early 1900s when people, when the Jewish people were being cast out of, the, of what became the Soviet Union out of Russia. And it was this mass exodus. And so it ended up that Aquila and Priscilla took a boat, most likely, or they could have taken a, an animal and gone along the Roman road down to Greece, Achaia, and they settled in a town called Corinth. Now, 50 AD, Paul has arrived in Greece. And if you remember, he first went to Athens, and he spoke there in Athens, and then he went down to Corinth. And according to the timeline of Paul, he stayed in Corinth for about a year and a half. During, whenever Paul would go to a city... It was his practice to first go to the synagogue to speak to the Jewish people. And then when he had proclaimed the gospel to the Jewish people, whether they received it or not, he would then proceed and move on to the Gentiles. So we know that Priscilla and Aquila were Jews. They might have been Christians by this time. We don't know because we're not given that in scriptures, but they were for sure Jews. We also know that they did go to the synagogue, because you just heard me read later on in Acts chapter 18, that then when Apollos was speaking at the synagogue in Ephesus, they heard him. So that gives us the understanding that Aquila and Priscilla practiced their faith as Jews and went to the local synagogue. So it is likely that they met Paul at the synagogue in Corinth when he was speaking. But somehow, some way, Paul met them. It may be the fact that they were tent makers and Jewish, and Paul comes to the city, a tent maker himself, and he's seeking out the Jews so that he can speak the truth of the gospel to them. So it may not be that they met at the synagogue. It may simply mean that he met them in the marketplace. I don't, we don't know any of that. All we know is that somehow, some way, God crossed their paths, and it ended up... And what I can imagine happening here is Priscilla said, listen, Paul, why don't you just stay with us? I mean, come on, we got plenty of room and you can help us in our business. Okay, sure, I'll do that. So Paul joins them. So they extend to him hospitality. He becomes part of their day-to-day life. And they somehow, some way, join together in ministry and a church starts meeting in their home. Now again, Were they Christians before they met Paul? Were they Christians after they met Paul? We don't know. But what we do know is that they are now Christians. What we do know is that they are sitting literally at the feet of the master when it comes to theology. Paul was one of the best theologians the Christian church has ever known. And Paul literally sat in their living room and in their workshop 24-7. So conversations over dinner... Conversations over work, conversations in the evening before bed, all of them related to what does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to propagate the gospel? How can we help people to know what it means to serve the Lord? How can we expand this gospel that God has given to us so that we can share with the people in our community? 
And these people literally had the, the benefit of 18 months of day-to-day contact with the Master when it comes to teaching theology. Some ha- something happened though, and we, it's not a negative thing, it's just the Holy Spirit then said to Paul, you know what, it's time, you've planted this church, you've established it, I want you to move on. And for whatever reason, uh, Aquila and Priscilla felt led of the Lord to join Paul in this travel. And so they left around 52 AD, they left Ephesus, they left uh, Corinth and moved to Ephesus. And sometime during their time there, Paul left and went on with his business. God called him to go down to Jerusalem. So Paul left, and sometime within the next year of their arrival in Ephesus, this guy named Apollos shows up. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, you'll read in that story that Apollos was from Alexandria, which is northern Africa. We don't know how he came to know about Christ, but we know that Apollos is a very educated and and learned man, and he was literally preaching about Jesus, but when he got to Ephesus and spoke in the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla invited him to their home, and they, in the privacy of their home, without confronting him publicly without in any way causing him to lose face, said, everything that you've said is correct, but you're missing so much. You need to hear the full gospel. And so they became mentors to Apollos. And they led him into a fuller and richer and deeper understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Some scholars that I read said that Apollos only knew John's baptism, therefore it was just a repentance gospel that he knew, that he really didn't fully understand Jesus as Messiah. Other scholars said, no, he knew Jesus as Messiah because the Ethiopian eunuch who met Philip brought the gospel down to Africa, and there's no reason why this this Apollos who's from Africa couldn't have heard about Jesus as the Messiah. But what Paul, I mean, but what Aquila and Priscilla did indeed teach Apollos was that there was a a Holy Spirit of God. And that when believers come to faith in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God empowers them and cleanses them from the carnal nature in a second act. And they end up, like Marlene said this morning, this unknown bundle, you give it all to God and the Holy Spirit takes it over. And there's this, this, this newness, this vitality, this power that you've never experienced before. Not only the cleansing of the carnal nature, but the powering, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it just, it, it explodes in your ministry. We don't know exactly what the timeline was. We don't know exactly what was lacking in his understanding of the gospel. What we do know is that he had an understanding of the gospel, but it was rudimentary, and that Aquila and Priscilla brought Apollos into their home, and they taught him. So they hosted him in their home, and they helped him to learn more and more and more about what it means to be a spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at some point, Apollos says, I feel led of the Holy Spirit to continue on, and I need to go to Greece. And what happens? Aquila and Priscilla, who were leaders in the house church in Corinth, say, 
let's write you a letter of introduction. And they hand him this letter that he then carries with him to Corinth and begins his ministry there. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. But, actually I may have already done too much talking about it. Um, But then in 57 AD, we see that they are still in Ephesus. Um, And basically the way we know that is if you look at, uh, well let me just read it. They accompanied Paul when they left Corinth, but they stayed in Ephesus when the party stopped briefly. There they ministered to Apollos and undoubtedly to Paul, and, and undoubtedly to Paul during his stay in Ephesus on his third journey because they sent greetings to the Corinthian Christians in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. What it was is if you look at, and don't turn back to it, but if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is saying, I send greetings to you, Corinthian church. Oh, and Priscilla and Aquila who are with me send you greetings. So what we know is Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote that letter. We know that for a fact. Therefore, if Priscilla and Aquila are with him, we know that during that timeline, they were still in Ephesus. So at 57 AD, when Paul was on his third missionary journey and was writing the letter to 1 Corinthians, they were in Ephesus. Then in 58 AD, we're not quite sure if they were actually in Rome, but it seems like they were, because if you go to Romans chapter 16, verses 3 to 16, Paul sends greetings to people who are in the church there in Rome. And one of the people, or two of the people that he sends greetings to in Romans chapter 16 are Aquila and Priscilla. So did they go to Rome for something? Were they there on a mission from God or were they there for business? Ah, but somehow, someway, in 58 AD, it appears that they were in Rome, affiliated with the church in Rome. But then, by 66 AD, eight years later, they are back at their headquarters in Ephesus. And uh, we know that because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul specifically said to Timothy, greet Prisca, Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. One of the things that I loved about what this author wrote, um, he said, Paul was thinking of his dear friends who were then back in Ephesus where Timothy was ministering, possibly having left Rome to escape Nero's latest outburst of persecution against Christians. It was just a brief and simple greeting using the shorter form of Priscilla's name that we have seen in several of the passages, but Paul wanted to be remembered to them in the very last hours of his life. Because Paul was, when he wrote the letter to the second, the second letter to Timothy, it was literally the last letter that he ever wrote, and he was very near the time of his execution. And in his last words, in his last letter, he said, my dear friends Priscilla and Aquila, please extend my greetings to them. Let them know I'm thinking about them. Let them know how much they meant to me. So that's the timeline. So basically he knew them for about 17, 16, 17 years. From the time he first met them until the time that they're in, in, uh, in Ephesus. Go ahead, next slide, Craig. Bring up the next one. Thanks. Um, we're told that they were tent makers by trade. Nothing special about that other than that they, they were not ministers. They were not uh, uh, preachers. They were not evangelists. They were lay people. They were just ordinary, everyday human beings who knew Jesus, who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and were living their life in their community doing business. Next slide. 
But this is where, and this is what God showed me when I saw that, 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 that title, tent makers and salt, salt shakers. While they did their business, while they lived their life, regardless of where they lived their life, they were seasoning their community. Just as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you are, you are the salt of the earth. And if you don't flavor it, it will be flavorless. You will not be causing thirst. The Holy Spirit will not, uh, well, not that the Holy Spirit can't, but the Holy Spirit will be enhanced. The ability of the Holy Spirit to minister to the people will be enhanced if you cause the thirst in them because they see in you Christ working. So while they're living their normal everyday life as tent makers, plying their trade, living in their communities, going to the synagogue once a week, having people into their home because obviously they were hospitable people, they were sprinkling salt everywhere they went. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Bring up the next slide. Paul even said that they were partners to the death. Do you remember that? Do you remember reading that this morning? Let's, let's, let, let me go back to that real quick. Sorry, I don't have it. Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Literally, what does the Greek say here? The Greek says... They put their necks on the chopping block. They were willing for, and we don't know what the full scenario was, but they willingly put themselves at risk for Paul. Some scholars intimate that maybe it was the riot in Ephesus. Remember when, when, when there was a big riot that took place because that's where Artemis, the, the temple to Artemis was, and they, the whole city was, this is the temple of Artemis, and you're, you're, you know, they, 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 they were coming against Paul and, and against, um, Silas, I think was the one with him. And it may be that somehow, some way, Aquila and Priscilla got wrapped up all in that. All we know is that Paul gave them great praise calling them fellow workers in Christ and saying they literally, they laid down their own neck for my soul. And he said, all the Gentile churches are grateful for their ministry. That's a powerful statement. They were co-laborers with Paul, who was a co-laborer of Christ. And it's a powerful statement of who they were and the ministry that they had. And they were just ordinary people. They were not scholars. They were not leaders of the, 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 the Jewish faith. They weren't people who were affiliated with the church at Jerusalem. They were just Jewish people who were living their lives who came into contact with the gospel and received it unto themselves and applied it to their life. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. The next two slides, actually. And the next one. 
this, I, t- I already talked a lot about this already, so I'm not going to go back to it, because I, re- I forgot I was going to talk about it in a moment. But when I was doing the timeline, I mentioned to you this idea that they ministered to Apollos. But the one thing I didn't get into was I wanted to show you, I wanted to, to, to remind you, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, I think it's the third chapter, there's this, or maybe it's the first chapter, I can't remember now, but there's this statement that Paul says, Some of you people are saying that you're a follower of Paul. Some of you are saying you're a follower of Peter. Some of you say you're a follower of Apollos. And some of you say you're a follower of Christ. Now, why would they be saying that about Apollos if Apollos did not have a significant impact on the culture and the church there in Corinth? So we we don't know a lot about Apollos, but what we do know is that after he spent whatever amount of time he did with Aquila and Priscilla, he went on to his ministry in Corinth, and he had a significant impact. And I would submit to you, even though it's not in Scripture, I would submit to you it's a direct result of what Aquila and Priscilla did in the life of Apollos. God used them to bring him to be the minister he needed to be, so he could then bring the next level of teaching to the church in Corinth. And we know how bad the church of Corinth needed help. So God raised up a man to come and take it to the next level. But before he could go, he had to be mentored by Priscilla and Aquila, these everyday ordinary Christians who were just living their life and doing their business. Next slide, please. Something else that came up in the study, and this was, it, it's more, inf, it's more interesting than it is informational, but I, for me it was pretty, pretty interesting. Number one, uh, this idea, if, if, it depends on which translation you read from, but sometimes you'll read Prisca, and sometimes you'll read Priscilla. Okay? Always, always, you will see Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila. So we know it is the same person. But why the difference? Well, what's my name? My name is Bob. But if you look at my driver's license, my name is not Bob. My name is Robert. Robert is my legal and given name. Bob is the diminutive form of Robert. Okay? Prisca is the legal name. Priscilla is the diminutive form of Prisca. It's the more familiar term, but it is, that's, it, it's like a good friend would say, oh, Priscilla, come over here. But no one that didn't know her would say, oh, Priscilla, come over. They said, yes, Prisca. Because there's a formality there. So in some translations, you're going to see Prisca. Some translations, you're going to see Priscilla. It means the same person. Number two, in some of these verses, 18... Acts 18, verses 1 and 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, you read Aquila and Priscilla when they, when they talk about them. That's normal. For that culture, for that society, the man would always be listed first when naming the couple. In Acts 18, 18 through 28, Romans 16 and 2 Timothy 4, Paul wrote Priscilla and Aquila. And scholars have wrestled with that for years. And I don't want to go a whole lot of time into it, but I want you to understand it has been a matter of significant debate among scholars who study the scriptures. Why the difference? It was the same author. 
Why in three different places did he specifically say Priscilla and Aquila instead of Aquila and Priscilla? Because that was not culturally the norm. That was not what normally would have been expected. Normally, if you put the first person ahead, it's because they are predominant. They are more important. They are better than. So why in three of the five passages does Priscilla get the lead? Well, some scholars believe that Priscilla was actually the better teacher, the more knowledgeable, the one who actually took the lead in teaching Apollos. Now, where do they base that on? Did you know that Priscilla is one of the people who is is seriously thought to be the author of the book of Hebrews in the Bible? The only reason that the author of Hebrews wasn't named according to the ones who hold that Priscilla is the author is because it wouldn't have been received in that culture if it came from a woman. Now, it's all conjecture. We don't know. But it's interesting to think about what we can glean from all of this, whether it's the Bible itself or whether it's history or whether it's scholarly thought, There was something about the depth of understanding of the Bible, of both of them, and specifically probably about Priscilla, that they were powerhouses when it came to understanding the scriptures and the gospel and how God related with humanity. And where did it come from? Because they were just ordinary, everyday people. They took it upon themselves to learn. They invited scholarly people into their home and chewed the fat with them. They were the ones that hosted the visiting missionaries, if you will, in their home and had a meal with them and then picked their brain in engaging them in conversation and understanding and trying to rationalize and sort out. And then ultimately, after literally years of doing this, God raised them up to the positions that we have their record of today. What does the history say? Go ahead, next slide. What does history say about them? Not from the Bible, but just history. Church history or history. Number one, they were both martyred on the same day. They were they were a team in their ministry all through their adult lives, all through their marriage. And when they were killed for their faith in Christ, it happened at exactly the same time at the same place. They both have been named saints by the Roman Church and by the Eastern Orthodox Church. And Aquila, according to early church history, was actually a bishop somewhere in that Ephesian Peninsula, somewhere. So I didn't get too far into the history because it wasn't something that was germane to me. But what it does say to me is that these are people that made a name for themselves, not because they were trying to make a name for themselves, but because they were being faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and God raised them up to positions where they had a great influence on not just the people around them, but literally the whole Christian church to this day. Because why are we speaking about them? Because God's Holy Spirit ordained that their story would live on for some reason. So what is the some reason? What is the so what? Why would we even look at them? Next slide, Craig. Why do we even care about looking at these people? Well, number one, what spiritual contribution 
did they make in the lives of others? And then the question being turned around for you is what spiritual contribution are you making in the lives of others? I can tell you stories about my own life. I can tell you there were people who came into my life as a young Christian who had a significant impact on my spiritual formation. I don't need to go through the list today. There's not time. But there's not more than five or ten of them. But there were people that God specifically drew into my sphere who were able to speak truth to me. Some of the things that I, I came across that I just I needed to share with you when talking about this idea of making a spiritual contribution, what does that look like? How, do, how does that feel? How do you, how do you discern what, whether or not you're even doing that correctly? Well, here's some of the things that, that somebody wrote when they were talking about Aquila and Priscilla and this idea of pouring into someone else's life. Number one, supporting people who proclaim the gospel or plant churches. Whether it's financial support or prayer support or letters of encouragement, but coming alongside someone else who's specifically called to that ministry. Number two, devoting your time and your energy within your own local church. Priscilla and Aquila, we saw, went to synagogue regularly, and as a result, God brought Apollos to them. God brought Paul to them. And then in their own natural humanity, using their hospitality gift, they welcomed them into their home, and God used it as a formative and shaping thing. Number three, growing in your knowledge of the Bible. I would venture that if I asked everyone to raise their hand, nobody would raise their hand if they felt like you knew everything there was to know about the Bible. So that means every single one of you still have more to learn. How diligent are you in making that a daily practice, or at least a weekly practice, getting to know the scriptures more and more, so that when the moment presents itself, you don't have to go, oh, um, I know it's in here somewhere, hold on, hold on, uh, but you can literally just speak it, because you know it so well, you've, in, you've incorporated into who you are as a human being, that the moment the opportunity presents, you can speak the truth to the person in front of you. How many of you spend time regularly discussing God's word with another human being? And how many of you in that discussion aren't afraid to correct somebody when you see false teaching? Here's another one that's kind of tough for some. And I'm not saying anybody's at fault or not at fault, but... If God asked you to go someplace, how willing are you to literally give up everything? Pull up all of your stakes and go. Even if it meant you lost everything. How much of that unknown bundle that Marlene talked about earlier have you really held on to and said, well, everything but this, God. Everything but this. I can't give this up. And then finally, not finally, but um, what resources specifically that you can point to and say this? What resources specifically has God used of yours 
in an advancement for the kingdom of God? Can you point to something that was yours that God used to advance the kingdom? Is it because you willingly gave it? Or is it because he ripped it out of your clutching fingers? Because he had to have it. And the last one under this idea of what contribution are you making to the lives of other people? Are you willing to die for a fellow believer? Would you willingly give up your own life for someone else to have success in ministry? See, in our comfort in the Western culture here, that's not even a question. But if you were living in the Middle East, if you were living in China, if you were living in Indonesia, you could very very possibly be asked to lay your neck on the chopping block for the soul of another person. Next slide, last one. How can you use your home more effectively to serve the Lord? I read this statement and I wanted to close with it. Some of us will never be powerful preachers. But all of us can be faithful stewards of the word of God. And our homes can be open to people whose hearts are hungry to hear the word of God. And if we are faithful in that one area, we may have the joyous privilege of nurturing a young Apollos who someday will have a wide and powerful ministry for Jesus Christ. There are those of you sitting in this room who can probably say, God hasn't called me to preach. There are some of us in the room who know that we're called to preach. But the majority of us are not. The majority of you are called simply to be ordinary, everyday human beings who are living your life, who also happen to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how intentional have you been? And how intentional are you? And how intentional should you be when it comes to seeing the kingdom of God advanced as a result of direct contact with your life. That to me is the, the crux of why God put Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. Ordinary, everyday human beings being used to advance the kingdom of God in powerful ways simply because of faithfulness. Let's pray.